Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! I'm drinking fancy rum. I've got a belly full of tea and Vietnamese vegetarian fried rice. And I'm excited to talk about some cool business stuff. (laughs) This is the Fizzle Show, where every Tuesday we talk about something important about people who are running their own businesses. We're talking to indie entrepreneurs. Indie! Indie entrepreneurs. You know how cool indie rock bands are? Well, this is the equivalent of that in the entrepreneurship world. Most of us aren't that cool, but we are independent. We do earn our own living, our own way. The goal for us is to live life on our own terms. We don't want to be cheesy. We don't want to sell out our values. We want to earn a real independent living doing something that we care about using the tools of the internet and any other tools we need to because, frankly, it's not all that easy. And that's why we do this at The Fizzle Show because it's not all that easy. All right? So welcome to our welcome to our podcast. You have myself. I am the Dancy Monkey of the, of the group. My name is Chase Wardman-Reeves. Over here to my right is Corbett Barr. Say hi, Corbett. Hey. That's uh, Corbett Barr. He's the experienced one. He's like a little bit more like the, uh, he's like the crotchy old man that lives downstairs who. See this ball? I'm keeping it now. (laughs) Exactly. You don't want your ball going over Corbett's fence. And on my left here, I have Steph Werdeman Crowder. Steph, how you doing? Hey, everybody. Hi, people of the internet. And today we've got a great show lined up for you. I'm excited about this because we're going to, we're going to have an honest conversation uh, because Recently, we had an experience where, where I was doing a uh, a podcast interview somewhere. Okay, and uh, and what had happened was within uh, within a week of me basically t- like having this podcast thing, I taught them something uh, that was from our roadmap and from one of our courses in in Fizzle, and and, and the person who was doing the podcast was was then like you know like like doing some training on that very thing almost as if it was their idea in the first place this question of your stuff getting stolen from other people stolen might be a harsh word yeah stolen might be a harsh word right and this gets to the nature of the problem here or the or the the thing i want us to talk about right well on one hand is outright theft which which has happened before yeah i found (laughs) courses that i created on deep websites yeah being like Sold, yeah, totally. I also we also found fizzle courses on some well-known course mm-hmm. sites where there are multiple courses up there yeah. being sold to yeah. the tunes of tune of thousands of dollars. Yeah, like not an insignificant that's, number of sellers. That's theft, like pure and simple. Yeah. Although it did raise an interesting thing when I found one of my courses being given away, uh-huh. and then I thought to myself. This is just payback for all those movies that I downloaded. <laughs> <laughs> we all we all went to college. Um, uh, the, but this is an interesting thing, right? Where where we're talking about this this sort of sliding scale of. Uh, so let me let me let me try to nail. Let me try to get us ground this for for all of our listeners here. If you are doing creative work online, thought work, knowledge work, there is a chance that you uh, maybe someday you find someone who is saying exactly the same thing as you and you were the first one to say it or so you think or something like that and so you have to deal with these complex feelings of wait a minute like did you guys just steal that from me mm-hmm. did you just like take that from me and then you have to like because part of that complex thing is like wait a minute was that actually mine in the first place yeah did that actually belong to me right right and then on the other side there is if you are doing creative work <laughs> 
chances are you're probably stealing from people at some point or borrowing or like I'm thinking of a, of a, of a book, which I don't know if it got bestseller, but it's a guy I pay attention to Austin Cleon who said uh, the title of the book was steal like an artist, right? This idea of, of, of great artists steal. That's what all work is derivative. And I want to get into that a little bit later on. Um, but when you're doing creative work on the web for us, for example, we're teaching entrepreneurship. I mean, we've, we're kind of veterans in this space, and yet uh, a lot of the times I'm going to be promoting to you someone smarter than me, like Paul Graham and what he says about this thing. Uh, I lived it, <laughs> but his words were just a little bit better than my own in right. some ways, right? But then I can, I can really land that point and root that in your experience through one of our courses or something like that, right? So I'm using this kind of stuff all day long, or even better, as a designer... I'm going around the internet all the time, saving images of either designs or photos or things where I like the composition or I like the color or I'm out in the world. I just like there's these roses that my neighbor has that are like this vibrant fizzle orange peach thing. Yeah. Right. Those colors I've been messing around with yeah. recently. It's those exact ones. And it's like, it's in nature. You're stealing from nature. And stealing from nature. Is that stealing? You know, and, I, and I think there are some, the visual arts, or or creative yeah. endeavors and food as well. I think there are some areas where borrowing is just that's just part of everything yeah. that you do. Yeah. It's yeah. always referencing some other work out there. You're always right? building on stuff. You're always building on stuff. And and some industries are really, really fun because of that. Right? Some industries are just like fashion. They're just like it's just fun. I'm thinking of even like craft brewing too, right? Where like there's competition between these people. But at the same time, like like in Portland, like half of the suddenly the now brewer, it's all like New England style IPAs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But half the brewers are all drinking together in some place. You know, they're from different. Right. From, you know, right, 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 right. It can it can be a friendly competition in some places because we're building on each other's work. It can, and yet on the other side, it can feel really crappy when somebody yeah. takes your stuff. Yeah. yeah. And this, I think, I think, um, Steph, we were talking about this earlier, and you were wondering, like, does this say something about where you are? At the stage yeah. of your career when you finally feel like somebody has borrowed something from you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is an experience. So Chase's experience that he mentioned is unfortunate. It's happened to me too recently. And it it was a moment where I was like, huh, okay, is this the moment where like, okay, it, 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 like you're annoyed, but you're also like, wow, all right, someone I actually admire is shall we say, borrowing. And it makes you feel sort of like, wow, okay, I must have good stuff to share. So there is some, at least maybe some mm. validation to it. Yeah, it's almost like a rite of passage, right? Mm -hmm. Right, in, right. In, in real thought leadership. But uh, I think there are different people react in different ways to this. Mm. And there are some entrepreneurs out there, some of whom are a little notorious for this, mm -hmm. for overreacting when they feel like someone has borrowed something of theirs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of times the thing that they're talking about is simply repackaged from somewhere else to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. But nevertheless, they get really ticked off. I know, I know someone who thought he was really good friends with an entrepreneur until they had, you know, been in a group together. They had talked about you know, their work together. And then he used an idea that they had discussed in a new project of his. Mm -hmm. And this other entrepreneur freaked the F out mm -hmm, really? on him. <laughs> yeah. 
And it was suddenly clear that that came way before friendship. And he felt like because they had talked about it, yeah. because he gave credit and was honoring the work that this person yeah, had done, yeah, that yeah. it was all fine. But it turns out that this person reacted differently. So I think, you know, some people, I'm more likely to just kind of brush it off because mm-hmm. I feel like it's part of the territory. Yes. And it's flattery in a lot of ways because somebody's, you know, borrowing from what you do. Um, but on the other hand, I think people, some people really fly off the handle. So talk to me more about this. It's part of the territory. Cause I see it as so related to that, you know, this dark side where you can kind of be really locked in, like going like, I like, no, you can't, you know, you're just imagining like Scrooge McDuck or something, just fan, just thinking about it all day long, like some greedy miser, right. Instead of doing the work that you gotta be doing. Cause it, cause it's almost like, like there's a way of looking at this where, no, that's, this is, uh, this is built in. This is part of the territory. This is a cost of doing business. This is, you're, you're borrowing ideas as well. Like you're working on, with things that are pre-existent materials. Yeah. I mean, my, my approach to it is, is usually two, two-folded. One is, uh, yes, everything is derivative. Mm-hmm. I fully believe that. Yeah. Like everything comes from somewhere and something that you might feel is unique probably isn't unique. You the the bug was planted in your brain at some point and you just weren't aware of it but you're probably borrowing that from somewhere yeah, anyway yeah so don't feel like you created the thing yes maybe you were the first one to use it amongst your peers i get that but you didn't make it up so stop acting like you did the second part is what are you legitimately going to do about this by being so pissed off yeah, yeah. are are you i mean i think the I think the only realistic thing that's going to happen is that you burn a friendship over it. Yeah. A potential friendship over it. And um, maybe that one person stopped using the thing because they could tell that you were so pissed off about it or because you confronted them. But that's not going to stop the potential, you know, hundreds or thousands of other people out there who might stumble on your work and decide they want to borrow it for themselves. People that you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that you might not be so pissed off about because you don't know that person so well. Um, you know, I think the bigger you get, the more people are going to imitate you Mm -hmm. and that just comes with the territory. And I think it's just a sign of how successful you are. I mean, imagine being in, in music today, like whenever somebody comes out with a new hook, like remember like two years ago, there was this like sound of a baby in like every... Every song, every like hip hop song, there's this like kind of that was vague, when Corbett wasn't taking his pills. <laughs> vague, like weird baby producer sound thing. I mean, once that hits, it's like in every or friggin' right song. now. It's in it, or has been for some time. I don't know if he actually still is, but in in trailers for movies, it's that. It's like this huge foghorn sound when it's like cuts to black, and then it's like Godzilla takes a step. <laughs> Cuts the button, you know, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? You're hearing yeah. that sound? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I do know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's in every preview. Yeah. Or like uh, photos on Instagram, right? Yeah. It's like how, you know, yeah. these things all, in a way, they. Wait, are- is that a succulent? Oh. <laughs> How neat. And <laughs> Steph, I am talking crap on you right now a little bit to deal with Thanks. it. <laughs> I can take it. Succulents are amazing. Hold on. Aerial shot of your cafe, your podcast app, and your succulent. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. I like to I like to jibe. So so you're saying this is part of the territory, and I like this. This is good. Because I want to be someone who's who's um uh, who's gracious. I want to be someone who's focused on the work that I make. 
Do you know what I mean? I want to earn my living. I want to, I want to be, I, I want to never stop being creative. I want to never stop being, finding a way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I want to always find a way. I remember I was, uh, I'll find this quote when someone else is talking next, but it, it was, it was a, a filmmaker who was just like, I do the same damn thing I've always ever done. I wake up in the morning and figure out how to put bread on the table. Like that's it, you know? And, and it's like, yeah, that's what we do in some ways as creative workers who figured out how to actually earn a living. Right. I don't want to ever stop feeling like I'm creative. But I have had those experiences of wanting to sort of rest on my laurels and go, I made something. And that's a part of like doing creative work. You got to take a break and pop the champagne and go like, yay, we did it. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there is there is something when we find on some big education platform, a bootleg copy of one of our courses or something like that. It's like, knock the off, man. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a, that's actual theft. Yeah, I think it is. And, that, and that's a different sort of thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's, there are different stages in, in your career. And I think most of us begin as creatives or, or people who make things with a set of training wheels on. Mm -hmm. And those training wheels are borrowing heavily from what other people have done because we can see that it worked for someone else. Yeah. And so it will likely work for us. So we borrow, we adapt, we use it, we try on other people's shoes, we feel what it's like. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the work that we do in the beginning is derivative. Then at some point, we start to learn how to create things that feel new based on what we've learned about the world. We're able to triangulate all the things that we've learned, things that we've experienced, and put those together in a way that creates something somewhat new. Yeah. And there's that, you know, those early stages of doing that as a creative person, when I think you're most susceptible to getting really pissed off if someone takes that from you. Yeah. Because you feel yeah. like, Hey man, I like I went through the past like five years or whatever yeah. of learning all this stuff to finally come up with something that feels new mm. and you go and steal it and, yeah. and you get really ticked off about that. But then after like another five years goes by, you've learned to do that. You've learned how that formula works and how you can create new things or seemingly new things. Yeah. And you probably also start to realize that even though you felt like it was really new at the time, it, it actually wasn't that novel because it was still derivative in a way, just you just mash it up through a different formula that makes it feel uh, fresher than it actually was. And so eventually you start to just calm down about the whole thing and realize yeah. that stuff's going to get borrowed. Yeah, that makes me think of this Stephen Pressfield quote where he says, the rules say that in order for an individual to master any complex skill, this is going back to that 10,000 hours Malcolm Gladwell thing. The rules say that if, you gotta, if you're going to master any complex skill, be it brain surgery or playing the cello, she must put in 10,000 hours of focused practice. But what exactly are we learning when our, we're beating our brains out all those years, getting our 10,000 hours in? And he says, what these masters were learning was to speak in their own voice. They were learning to act as themselves and themselves as, as like italicized there. In my opinion, this is the hardest thing in the world. And I love this. This is something that like, you know, I collect quotes like this about the creative process and about because I really see myself as a part of as like, like I was mentioning just earlier, like the creative life like to live the whole creative life. Like all my heroes, all my heroes are filmmakers and comedians and writers and, 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 and thinkers who it's like they, they just showed an affinity for real thought work their entire life. So to me, 
I I want to win this hole, you know, for this is on a golf course. I want to win this hole, which might be this, you know, decade of my life and having the fizzle roadmap be like a big thing that doesn't get stolen and put out there or something like that. But way more important than that than that is winning the entire golf game in some ways the like not just this one hole but the whole thing i i need to be making sure that on the next hole and the next and the next and the next and the next i'm showing up as someone who might not duff it completely <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah because i know that like like if i can focus on that then there's a chance i'll have bread on the table there's a chance that i will be proud of myself i won't like you know go into de- despair and depression because that's that's where I get a lot of my value from is feeling like I'm a contributing factor in, and, and, a, and, a, and a voice. Like I'm, I'm putting my voice together, you know? Well, and, you know, I think there are, there are unscrupulous people out there who simply steal from others yeah. and then sell it as their own. At the end of the day, I think at some point, most of us start to realize that putting bread on the table, the bread isn't just money. The bread is the emotional aspect yeah. of being proud of your work and and, and feeling, also the, the respect of your peers yes you know right and the longevity of it because yeah. people don't call you out for being a thief or whatever yeah totally so you're saying there are these unscrupulous people there are there are right there are people who and and who, who just they don't like one of the things you said when we were in prep for this you're like the truth is 90 percent of people don't know how to think for themselves yeah right it's it and it's kind of like this is where I kind of wanted this thing to kind of land for a little while, I think. This is a real thing. I mean, basically, if you're listening to the show, you're on the path. You could be anywhere on the spectrum, right? Um, this spectrum of going from, like, not being able to think for yourself to completely being able to shape reality according to your dreams, you and, know? But, like, to get there, like you were just saying, yeah. is really a process of hard work. It's not as if you're just born with this ability to think for yourself. It's that you put the time and effort into synthesizing hours and hours and hours, thousands of hours of yeah. being immersed in that work to understand what it takes to create something new in a field. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're understanding yourself and you're understanding the world. I've been having a lot of calls with fizzlers recently and um, a lot of them are in this place where uh, they're early on in the business, but they're really well researched. Like this is, and for a lot of them, it's not their first business that they're doing. They've kind of, they've gone through the roadmap once or sometimes twice with other business ideas and figured out, which is great for our roadmap. I mean, they've, they've realized by doing this, it's like, oh, this isn't going to work. Or I just don't want to do this. Do you know what I mean? Like right. they, the roadmap gets them to know that. And they see that, you know, you feel like that could be really disheartening. They see that as like a total plot positive because mm-hmm. they did the choosing a topic course. And this was one business idea they had of a couple others that were there, you know, that they were kind of interested in and they were choosing between. Yeah. Right. So they have more raw materials to work with than other people, which makes them more resilient. I'm loving that. You know, that that's like a, such a, such a, an amazing thing to have built for these folks. But then they're coming through it again, but they've got a business idea that the word that they keep using is alignment. I keep hearing the word alignment. That is like, it's really in alignment with who they are. They feel good about it. They feel kind of like, like this I can do in my own voice. This feels more comfortable, but they're still early on and they're still like figuring out how to do it. Um, And I'm talking to them a lot about there's two things, right? There's knowing what you're going to do or knowing who you are and how you can do this. Then there's like whether or not the world opens up to you. And I think that is where a lot of this stealing comes from is, is the world going to open up to me? Is 
is there space for my creative work? And what I've learned, one of the things I've learned is I can't actually control if the world's going to open up for me, right? One thing I can control is not going and working on my magnum opus for the next decade and then releasing it. <laughs> I can go, I can just send little shots across the bow yeah. to see which, like what gets boats interested and in what, you know what I mean? What, what kind of gets the world interested in stuff? This is a very organic process finding out, because this is what an entrepreneur is an expert in. Like Mark Twain, as Mark Twain went and traveled all up and down the Mississippi, and he said this was invaluable to him because he just learned about what real America is like, what the people are really like. What he said, what made this country so great, right? We're the real right. people. You know, he could have been in any parlor in in New York City or Chicago, you know, hamming it up with the lords and ladies, and I'm sure he did his fair share of that, but. He points to that time as a really integral part of where he was, I look at it as like he real, he was learning what the forces in the world are. The people who put Donald Trump up for president know the real forces in the world. Do you know what I mean? They're like, oh, look, people resonate with this guy. Look at this. And it's like, did you see that Roger Stone documentary? No. Oh, Corbett, you're going to love it. You yeah, got to watch it. It's, it's on the list. insidious. It's on the list. But anyways, let me ground, let me pull this back to where we're, where please, we're going. Please do. <laughs> because <laughs> what I'm getting at is there's, there's what you feel like you can do creatively or what you want to do, what you desire to do. And then there is, if the world is going to open up for that thing, receive it mm. well. Right. Sure. And so I think if I'm really afraid that the world is going, might not receive this thing well, Number one, I'm resisting the work that I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm not making calls when I should be making calls. I'm not putting my ass in the chair when I should be and just making the keys go clickety-clack and writing my thing. I'm, like, I'm researching and I'm figuring, doing, I'm doing work that doesn't matter, right? And this is a great place to, like, start stealing from other people, <laughs> you know? This is, like, if I know that you've got a course that's working called Start a Blog That Matters, well, why don't I just go find a way to sort of pirate that in some ways. And then I could probably skim a little off the top over on some other thing. You know, I, I, I don't want to make that too big of a point, but I do want to make it really clear that how, how human this is to be afraid that your creative work is like, is not going to be accepted. And I think that this is where most of us, that's why I like building fizzle so much is because somehow this is in our brand. Cause this is in who we are yeah. and this is the kind of people we attract yeah. in this, in listening to the show inside of fizzle itself. And so I get to talk to people like this, you know, about like, yeah, it's terrifying about your doing your creative work. And most fizzlers have never even dreamt about stealing, <laughs> stealing stuff, which is great because I think there's other forms you could go where it's just like, that's what you talk about, you know? Yeah. I, and I, I think for most of us, the, the kinds of people listening to this show and Steph, if you're there, please, anytime, step in. <laughs> I think I heard you chuckle a couple of times. But, here, guys. <laughs> um, the, the kind of people that, we, that we're talking to on The Fizzle Show aren't intentionally stealing stuff. Uh, it's just, it just happens because yeah. it's really hard to come up with new ideas. And mm -hmm. I think the way to be okay with that yourself as a creative is to understand like I said, you're going to have to wear training wheels for a while until you can come up with your own stuff. And those yeah. training wheels are often built on, you know, what other people have already done, but you might be t borrowing from someone that you know really well, and that's a good way to damage a relationship. Mm -hmm. So just give credit. Like yeah. if you feel like you're using something from someone else that has any resemblance to something you learned from someone you know, or even someone that you would just admire that you don't know, just give credit where credit's due. Yep. We borrow stuff 
all the time in our teachings. Like, yeah. what are what are we? We're you know a bunch of like middle career mm-hmm. business hacks. It's mm-hmm. not like we we <laughs> we have some like deep insight or something. And we yeah. borrow a lot from work that other people have done. And we talk about people like Paul Graham. We yeah. talk about ideas like the minimum viable product. And mm-hmm. I hope that we have said. Eric Reese, Lean Startup, a million times on yeah. this podcast mm-hmm. because we appreciate that. Or I hope that when we talk about the uh, unique selling proposition, we're talking about Jack Reese and Al Trout or yeah. the other way around, Al no. Trout and Jack Well, Re- it was Rosser Reeves who invented the USP. <laughs> or Rosser Reeves, who you have a, you have a book on your, on your shelf here. Yeah. And I hope Malcolm Gladwell is talking about Anders Ericsson, the, the researcher out of Florida who came up with the 10,000 hours yeah. research to yeah. begin with. Yeah. You know, but- it takes someone like Malcolm Gladwell often to popularize. to popularize an idea like that. And I can't fault him because so many people know about yeah. that. Uh, and I'm sure that in his book, he talked a lot about that research mm-hmm. and hopefully he had interviewed that researcher and let him know he was writing a book about it to begin with. Yeah. yeah it sounds like that's a principle. That's just, that's just like uh, when something that's developed out of this, that's really, really concrete is just, Hey, give credit attribute, everywhere yeah and that's kind of what i've been over here just sort of thinking about is i've watched this play out this is really timely for me in starting my own podcast just earlier this year courage and clarity and having this opportunity to really like jump in the water and connect with people that i've always wanted to connect to who've influenced me in a big way and i can understand like i have been like this is super honest and i'm sure i hope people out there identify with this and i'm sure you guys do too but there's like this, I think there's a fear that comes with giving credit because all of us want to mm-hmm. look original and all of us want our audience to go, holy shit, she's so smart. And yeah. what we don't realize yeah. and what it has actually, I'm a little ashamed to say it, but it's taken me like really jumping into this pool of having my own podcast to see like, oh, wait a second, by crediting other people, I don't discredit myself. And that's really something that I don't think everybody goes into this whole thing realizing that if I I can prop other people up, I can put other people on a platform in a way that doesn't make me lower. In fact, I've actually seen it have the opposite effect. It's done a lot of things. First of all, my audience has thanked me for introducing them to helpful people Mm. that they don't know. And by the way, those people have expertise that I don't have. So I would rather they get to know those people. I don't need to be the expert on everything. I mean, come on. That's just, there's so many things to know. It's okay to say, Hey, this person's got a lot more ideas about this stuff. You guys should follow them. And then, so that's one benefit. But the other benefit that frankly has been even more fun for me is oftentimes you'll hear back from those people and they're like, wow, thank you so much. That was so cool. They know they take notice of it. And I have now been on both sides of that. I've been on the receiving end where someone who I respect says, hey, Steph Crowder's talking about this and you guys should check out her concepts. And I'm like, that's just such a breath of fresh air because not a lot of people are doing business that way. So when you can be that person in this market who's like, I don't know, I think just like being brave enough to be okay with competition and just realizing that it can actually be community and it can actually be something that strengthens your brand versus discrediting yourself. It's kind of hard to get your mind around that, but it's it's a much more fun way to to be in this whole thing, I think. And let's just reiterate that real quick. Hang yeah. out there for a second because yeah. Steph just said something that's really important, which is attributing things where it's due, giving credit where credit is due can do more for your business yes. than trying to pretend like you came up with something in the first place. Yep, totally. And I, I, I think what I'm hearing, Steph, is there are there are two primary reasons for that. The first is that your audience will actually appreciate knowing that you're the kind of person who draws from different sources to compile 
the experience that you're delivering to to your customers, right? right? Exactly. Totally. And then the second piece is you're saying that the people that you credit will then have an incentive. They'll appreciate that you credited them and they'll have an incentive to share your work because it reinforces them. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's really, that's like, um, it, I'm, I, it's funny cause this is just such a free flow conversation and I'm just tra- taking notes, but that is something that has developed as like a real linchpin or a real tangible thing in this conversation, uh, about, attribute everywhere and there's like actual benefits to doing this one of the benefits for me personally is i find that i get so much like lighter oh yeah i just live like that Mm. because you can feel i mean i have felt guilty before because it's like you try you know not that i've ever really tried to pass somebody else's work off as my own but i've been tempted to not credit somebody and it doesn't feel good because i can't own it the same way and i think you know honestly you guys the two of you have have really taught me how to do this because it's it's always struck me it probably strikes our audience too. Ever since I joined the team, I would watch the way that Fizzle would partner with people who are very much in our same space. You know, the Pat Flynn's or John Lee Dumas or Live Your Legend. I mean, you could make an argument that like, hey, aren't those guys your competition? Why would you talk about them? Why would you partner with them? But, you know, watching the way that you guys have done this, I think since day one has been a really interesting and it's, it's flipped my perspective on like, wow, look what can happen when you realize that you gain more, both sides gain more from coming together and crediting each other and being friendly than trying to act like the other doesn't exist and that everything's original to you. Mm. Yeah, totally. Okay, let me read a FreshBooks sponsorship here because they are sponsoring our conversation today. FreshBooks is small business accounting for indie entrepreneurs just like you guys, especially you freelancers. If you're working with clients, if you need to be sending invoices, uh, you need to listen to our last show, fizzle.co slash 220. That was all about that. And you need to be checking out fresh books, okay? Because it's gonna make your invoicing and accounting a lot easier. Uh, Let's see, one of the things that it's doing for you is stuff happens on the mobile app. They've got a great mobile app and it lets you take pictures of your seats and stuff like that. No more of these boxes of receipts. Sorry, Corbett. Sometimes I still just leave Corbett with my receipts sometimes. But now I'm taking pictures of them. Yeah, you are. You know? Yeah, you are. (laughs) Uh, FreshBooks will organize those receipts for you for later. It can also create expense reports for you and make claiming expenses at tax time. A breeze from the mobile app. It's pretty killer, you guys. So they're going to give you... 30 days of free use of FreshBooks. You got to check it out if you're not already hooked into something. They've also just redesigned everything. So if you looked at it before, you might want to check it out again. Uh, like I said, 30 days free without a credit card for the trial. So you can just pop in and see what it's like. You just go to freshbooks.com slash fizzle. And you type in fizzle in the how did you hear about us section. Our thanks to FreshBooks for supporting independent business and the fizzle show. Like I did that pause there, Corey Bar. You did. That's that's the pro move. That is the pro move. I'm Christian Foden Venzel. That's an OPR report. <laughs> OPB report. O- OPB. OPB. Wait, which NPR. One? NPR. Yeah, but it's just here. It's OPR? just in Oregon. O- <laughs> NPB. I smell toast. Um, so where should we go from here? Because we've talked about the the fact that this happens in a very sort of free flowing. It's almost like knowledge work, coming up with ideas, coming up with concepts in a, in a space like entrepreneurship or or potentially a lot of other things. It's a very porous, 
you know, boundary around ownership of these ideas. Yeah. Right. Things kind of go in and out. And that's good. I'm thinking like thinking about like that concept of the minimum viable product, which was created, uh, you know, which was really published in the lean startup thing. It was probably already alive in some startup-y right. sort of world for a while. And right. Eric was probably just publishing that in some ways, but maybe yeah. not. Maybe it was a totally original thing, but now it's definitely in the culture. It is effectively public domain and he gets credit for having made it, but that doesn't necessarily put money in his ba- pocket or right, anything, right, right. because the point of that book was not to coin the phrase MVP. It was to teach entrepreneurship and how to do, how to do some, you know, killer, entrepreneurship thing which he kept doing killer entrepreneurship things <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah so the the like i don't know something that this keeps making me come back to is this call and and this invitation for us to have a truly create like be true like creative entrepreneurs yeah that's that's the goal i think yeah you know and um and you just have to realize that it's going to take time and practice and consciously trying to invent things but Again, to invent things, you need raw materials. And so things that seem unique, this is where uh, we haven't talked about Maria Popova in a Mm -hmm. long time, but Brain Pickings is this blog that she runs. And she talks a lot about the curatorial process, as Mm. she calls it, and how creativity is all this combinatorial exercise, really. Mm -hmm. It's all about taking raw materials from different things that you've read and learned and then combining them in a new way to create something that the world hasn't seen before. So even though you're going to try to create something new, it's still going to be derivative. But in order to do that, in order to create something new, you have to experience a lot in the world to be able to pull things together, to see patterns, to understand how things work together and to develop something that doesn't exist. A lot of times you don't know if something exists until you've spent many years in a field to get to know everything that's out there. And then finally to say, okay, this is what my field needs. I'm Mm -hmm. going to put my stamp on it in this way. Yeah. And, and that idea of, uh, you know, there's these series of videos called everything is a remix. And I've meant to go back to this. It, it points out all of these things in, in really modern pieces of art, like star Wars and things like that, that are, uh, completely derivative. Like derivative is a bad word. I think here, um, and there probably are like, you know, people who know about the art world who would go like, well, honey, that's not derivative. That's just inspired by or something like mm. that. But it, it sounds like a bad word, but, but just let it lose its negative connotations for a moment. Um, but if you haven't seen those, there's a series of them. They're like short little five minute Vimeo clips. They're really, really instructive on this point and really, really inspiring. So I'll be sure to put those in the show notes. But they get to this point that, that, you know, like, so Star Wars, a lot of what happened in Star Wars, you can go look at, like, Kurosawa films, or I can't remember exactly what director it was, and you can go, oh, geez, Louise, this is, like, the same story structure, the same mm-hmm. story arc, the same ideas as some of these characters um, that have become so iconic in popular culture. And he was really popularizing someone else's work, you know, and, and in that sense, or something that's even more archetypical and classical being that no director actually owns. It's human. It's profoundly... Our, belongs to our species in some ways. So um, anyways, this idea of committing to the whole entire game of golf, not just this one stroke or just this one hole, that entire game optimizing for being a truly creative force in the world. And all of us creatives have this, have this need to, to put bread on the table in some meaningful way. And like Corbett mentioned before, that's not just the money. It's also, 
the things that drive you. For me, like notoriety or respect from my peers is like a really big deal. Feeling like I am, I actually belong in a category of creators is like what I work towards. I, I, I want to contribute in, in some way. Um, but also I, I just want to enjoy myself. I don't want to be beating the horse nonstop. Right. You know what I mean? You could, you just feel like you could just crack the whip all the time. So you want to be optimizing to be making like to, to be, to be a true creative in some sense. But in order to be doing that, like you were getting at Corbett, there's this development process where at the beginning you always imitate your heroes. You know, there's stages in my life where there was just like some older guy in my life who was, uh, you know, now I'm looking at you saying some older guy in my life and I'm feeling weird about it. But there was just someone in my life who I was like kind of imitating. Like in college, there was this guy named Kyle. He was a professional bodyboarder and he was a few years older than me. And, um, and like he would take me out surfing and he's like Hawaiian and he would talk really funky and weird, but I was kind of funky and weird. And so I just like, Oh look, it's little Kyle <laughs> is who I became right to like everybody who was watching. They're like, Oh, look at this. Yeah. You know? Um, but I kind of couldn't even tell. Cause I was just in the process of like, Oh, I was trying this on. Does this feel right? Does this feel like me? Right. And there were parts of it that really felt like me, Yeah, you know, there, and then over time you kind of, you kind of slip into some costumes like that. And, and, this is all the process of discovering your own voice. Yeah, imitation. I think it's it's part of every artist's it really career. Is. You can look at artists like, uh, I think it's Picasso who spent years in mm. his early development just actually tracing the paintings of other famous artists. Yeah. You yeah. know? And just making your hand know what that feels like totally. to make that piece of work, even though you didn't conceptualize it at all. Yeah. And just to see what that does, you know? Oh, you know what's in a fascinating uh, addition to this conversation? There's this brilliant documentary called, well, it's not brilliant, it's just really good, called Tim's Vermeer, all right? It was produced by uh, by Penn and Teller because mm. uh, they were friends with this guy who's just, he was just like fascinating inventor guy, Silicon Valley, made lots of money, does all this stuff. And then he's just, he's like, I think... And there's some debate about Vermeer, this this fa this classic painter, Dutch painter who painted these incredibly lifelike scenes, um, way before like anybody else had gotten to that stage. And people were like, "These are amazing! These are amazing! How does he do it? How does he do it?" And there's so there's always it, they were so good. There was like this talk that that there's always this rumor that like he's using something. He's using lenses. He's using some sort of a dark box. He's using something and he's doing it. But he would also kind of like have some like, li like out in countryside stuff and nobody saw him with some big dark box or something like that. So it's like, wait, how is he doing this? So, um, he, this, this inventor, just smart guy goes about recreate like things, like how could this possibly be and tries to find out what he did. And he lands on something that, like, to me is fairly convincing. Like, I really, really like what he did. And then he wanted to make, he created the same exact painting. Like, he had a, he had a model for one part of it and then, and then set up this, this entire room that's one of Vermeer's most famous paintings. And he does the whole thing, and he does no experience painting. Like, he's not a painter. But he's using this, this, this series of, like, lenses and, uh, and uh, mirrors to kind of like, and it's fascinating what he does. Like, I really want to get one and like figure out how, and like try to do it myself. Um, but it's, it's, I bring that up just in the sense that like, it's amazing that he was doing this technical stuff to create this cre creative work. Piece of art. It's a piece of art. Yeah. 
But then if you if it was done this way, does that change the quality of the art, right? And and that's a little that's that's obviously the highfalutin for our conversation. But it gets to the point if we are trying to create a sol- a, a piece of pure, useful, valuable unique information or or ideas so you might be teaching yoga and if you come across a a way to get beginners into yoga where you can get them really into it like they get it or like meditation like i'm having a lot of great experiences on my meditation pillow using an app called cutting machinery because now i've spent so many hours doing it that i'm like oh i can get lost in this and it's just actually like a very enlivening experience. Like mm. there's just a lot going on and you're just kind of skating the whole, you're just surfing like the whole time, right? These energies in the body. Well, nobody taught me about that. Like if, so I feel like if someone had just said like, okay, here's what you're going to feel. You're going to feel, you're going to notice all these energies in your body. You're, gonna do this, you're just going to watch it. You're going to pay attention. You're going to do this thing, right? So if that is such a great idea and I could really be a meditation teacher that makes YouTube videos and gets people fired up on it, Right. The goal is that it's a really, truly groundbreaking thing in some ways. Um, But is the world going to open to that? And is it actually that good are still on the table profoundly. And so you have to work. You have to deal with like, like, is this working or is it not? And are you brave enough to put it out there or are you not? And I think the concept that we came up with about like attribute everywhere is such a great like handrail. I'm thinking of like, if you've ever been up to, to uh, half dome on Yosemite, there's this like long hike. And then you get up to the very top of this rock and it's terrifying. Like it's so scary. And there's these little like two by fours that go across it. And these like rickety old, like wire hand things that you just like pull to like climb up. Well, that, that attribute everything everywhere is like that rickety old like system. It's like, you can get up the hill just using that alone. You know, it's not, it's, it's like, it's not the real thing itself. It's not standing on top of the mountain yet, Mm -hmm. but it's a process that you can use to kind of in between here and there, you can kind of be in the safe zone on it. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys, what else do you you hear in this conversation? What else needs to be said about people who are either, I mean, one of the things we could do is we can go back to what it's like to get your stuff stolen, right? Or we can talk about what is it like to be someone who's trying not to steal, but we're living in the poorest world where there's all of this free material effectively, you know? I, I think that second part, I mean, both are interesting for sure. And the, but the second part I feel like might be really relevant to people who are listening. I know it's really relevant to people who are in our physical community, in our forums, who I see posts like this from people who are like, like genuinely discouraged because they're like, I just don't know if I can be original or I, I feel like every idea I ever come up with, somebody else is out there doing it better. I think this, this isn't exactly what we're talking about in this conversation, but it does share a border with it where, you know, people, I think that there's such a, there is, there's nothing like the feeling that you are in your own area of genius and that you're expanding on something that you're really, really good at teaching other people. And when you feel original, that's an awesome feeling. So for people out there who are just getting started, maybe we could talk a little bit about how to break through that because that feeling that there's nothing original that you could do, that's that's hard, especially when you really want to yeah. have your own business and you really want this kind of this kind of work in your life, but you're just feeling like there's there's nothing left, you know? Mm-hmm. It makes me think immediately of the Maria Popova and the idea of curating 
for an audience mm-hmm. as yep. a kind of middle middle step. Because I haven't actually read all of that Kurt Vonnegut, but I'm glad she pulled out that thing or she found that that thing of, that kind of puts together the handful of quotes on X, Y, and Z. Or I was reading through stuff on Dostoevsky and Tolstoy on her site like a few weeks ago, and I was just like, oh, I'm glad this is here. Right. Because I didn't want to crack those books open. She doesn't just like write the quote from yeah. Vonnegut and yeah. pretend it's hers. Yeah, no. Right? And, and so there's this audience around, uh, like for me, I'm profoundly interested in those guys and I'm not, and I'm not opening their books. Do you know to what I find, mean? To find the good stuff. Yeah, I'm... I'm and she is. She's she spending is. so many hours every week. And I, because I know that I can just do a search for like Dostoevsky quotes and I could land on something and one of those things I'm going to land on is, is brain pickings. And then, then I get to the point where I'm just like, I'm just going to go to brain pickings and search for Tolstoy quotes because yeah. I bet she's done the same for him. And now Maria is a little different because she has chosen curation as her profession in a yeah. way. So she's getting better and better at curation. Um, but it's a good metaphor. But it is a good metaphor. And I think I think a lot of us have to go through a period of that. Or we've, we've talked before about leading, being a leading yeah. learner. Yeah. That's similar, I think, to curation. Uh, as opposed to the concept of fake it till you make it, which always has this insidious connotation to me Mm -hmm. um, that you are living a lie, you know, telling your audience that you are more than you are by probably either, you know, pretending to be someone different or stealing from other people and acting as if they're your own thoughts. Yeah. You know what? This is so great. This is, uh, it's just making me think of something that, that probably really needs to be said. A lot of us right now, I mean, I was just, I'm cleaning through my old, my old website, Ice to the Brim, through all of these old posts, trying to clean it up to modernize it and do something else with it. Because basically, I just have like 900 quotes on the creative process. Like that's, it. but then also tons of crap in there. Like just little weird one off, just because I was blogging on it eight years ago, just when it was, you upload an image and you say, like, this is a funny image. <laughs> because there wasn't social media like that yet. Right. So, um, but the thing that 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 it's making me see as I go back, hold on, why did I bring that up? I'm I'm coming into it. I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna come around to it. Man, I'm probably not gonna. Anyways, maybe I'll come back to it in a second. <laughs> but the the, <laughs> the thing that I feel like is, is like I'm wanting to say in this is there's a lot of us who know who know, like cap, like no, my no is in parentheses there. There's a lot of us who know we need to be experts, right? And so we're doing that fake it till we make it kind of thing, but we probably don't even know we're doing that fake it till we make it kind of thing. Because for me, honestly, I was always kind of faking it till I made it. And I was always kind of just like, I, I was, didn't really think I was faking it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The more I knew, the more I realized I didn't know anything, right? And the more I knew, the more I was like, geez, I'm not, like I shouldn't be called a designer at all. But in my early days of design, I was cocky and I was really like confident about things. And then there's this whole middle path where it's like, geez, Louise, I got nothing compared to these guys. Oh man, they're the real guys. They're the real. So then during that stage, I was actually just like finding quotes from Frank Shamero. I was reading blog posts from these guys, right? And then now, after the fact, you know, now that I've been doing it for like over a decade in some professional capacity, doing web work of some kind, doing copywriting and design of some kind, that I'm like, I know everything there is to know about that. There's only two things to know about it. (laughs) Do you you know what I mean? There's only two things to know about web design, right? Something like that. And that's a completely different level of knowledge, which is probably closer to real expertise. But as as I chart my path through there, from really cocky and cocksure and like, 
and confident about it to like, oh my God, I know nothing. I'm curious. I'm like, I, I was blogging about design. Like I was like, I knew nothing about design. It's, mm-hmm. it's so embarrassing. Some of the things that I was writing. And then there was, there was like a time where I was just like, nope, I'm not blogging about any of that stuff. I'm just using quotes from other people. And because they're the ones who are writing the real things about design. Um, one of the things that might need to be said is like, we need to do a better job, all of us, of, of realizing if we're maybe faking it, right? I think a lot of people might, might be faking it and not knowing it, like I was back in the day. Real, like too confident because I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah, lying to yourself just to protect this. Because, a lot, because like you said, or maybe Steph said, I... Uh, you two blend together for some reason yeah. sometimes maybe yeah. it's because both you both sevens have a, on the Enneagram. a word wordman sort of yeah. name we have a word ward, ward <laughs> wardman wordman that's really how weird. weird is that that's so weird, so weird. <laughs> that's our middle names for people who don't know my name's wardman steph's is wordman well yep. yeah anywho uh one of you was saying that i lost it yeah which is a good which is a good thing just chime in anytime <laughs> um i i don't know so i think i i think this sense that that you you are creating right now i need to put something out in the world but what do i have to put into the world is the question right and uh, and and you need to have an answer that's suitable for like oh i don't have something to put out in the world yet cuz you mm-hmm. don't you don't yet this is the hard place cuz we we're, we're telling you as everybody else is telling you is like publish 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 right yeah. but you got to find a level of publishing that fits your level of development. Yeah. This, right. th- like, this is something that's really, really strong. As I'm saying, it's like this, if you can figure out that you will grow. But if you're, fa- if you, if you fake it too much, you're going to burn bridges. You're going to kind of come off weird. You're going to, you're going to see some, ex- some like success and get some audience. Or but your audience might see through it. Or, or you're yeah. going to get some audience that, that like, like it's fascinating to me how you can just make an audience. Like you can just fake, you can just, people just like believe you. Like there's people who are just like have low standards and they just believe like they're listening to us right now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Still amazes you. Still amazes me. But I, I can resonate with like, there's honesty here. There's authenticity. Yeah. There's experience. You know, there, there's, there's, there's the, something real here. And obviously it's a big conversation because we're, we're really going around it in a raw way. What were you wanting to say, Steph? Well, I was just going to add, you know, this really reminds me. And I know we're not talking about, we've kind of, I think, evolved from talking about stealing versus being original to then talking now talking about um, I think what we're really getting at is like what it feels like to really be vulnerable in this whole thing because mm-hmm. part of the reason that people steal is because like you said we're faking it till we make it we're bolstering our expertise sometimes without wanting to be seen for what we really are and that leads me to this something really compelling happened for me actually just this past week I had uh, at least at the time of this recording this week, I just published a question and answer episode over on the Courage and Clarity podcast, which is always really fun for me because I get to check in with the people who listen and just say like, what can I answer for you guys? I always get the most random questions, but I got this, man, I got such a good one that ties into this. It was like just so real. It was someone who she told me she was 64 years old and she's kind of, um, she's always wanted to have a business, but she kept coming up with all these reasons why she couldn't do it. So for example, in 2009, she got her certificate to become a personal trainer, but she can't, she can't get herself to take clients because she still has 20 pounds to lose. So she doesn't feel like she can 
no one will take her seriously because she still has 20 pounds to lose. Mm. Or she's also thought about life coaching, but she literally wrote this in her question that she feels like she's too dumb and has made too many mistakes in her life to help anybody else. And this just struck me. It was like such a beautiful, I don't know, way that I was able to kind of like flip the thinking on this, which is like, that's a totally valid way to feel. Like you've made a lot of mistakes. Why would anybody listen to you? But another way to look at that is like, you've made so like that person has been, I'm 29 years old. That person has been on this planet two times as long as I have. And I'm really interested in those mistakes. Like I want to know how you effed up, like, because it's really interesting for Mm. someone who can be mentored by you. So instead of seeing your shortcomings as like a reason why you can't be original, why you can't be authentic in business, it's really interesting to think of it as an asset where it's like, I've made the mistakes. Here's what I've learned. And I just think when you're willing to do that, um, that maybe there's a lot of originality in in your ability to like go out on a ledge and just say, I'm not perfect, but here's what I have figured out so far. You know, Mm. I think that's what we're getting at with the whole, with the whole leading learner thing. But I just thought it was such an interesting question that I got. And uh, if you can challenge yourself to look at it from a different angle, maybe that's where some original content can come from. Yeah. I really, really like that. And one of the things it requires from you is (laughs) what, like you're drawing a line in the sand when you do that. Right. When you say, here's who I am, I'm still making mistakes. But I when you when you can when you stand up and make your brand what you're really like. Right. Or where you really are in your development process. Right. When you don't try to be Gary Vaynerchuk when you're not Gary Vaynerchuk. Right. It's like it's like that's that's one of the insidious things about about a lot of the main niches right now that people want to get started in because they're so fired up and is is that like they like anybody can do it like anybody can do a pump you up message like anybody can find the quotes and 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 even say the quotes because i mean maybe that's how you got got successful in college volleyball or something <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's like you know what when i was out there it was like hard but then we stuck with it and it's like you stick with your dreams but then you like couch that in some you know gary vaynerchuk style quote Right. I love I love watching what Gary's doing because he's actually building a real business. And then he does this whole pundit thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing this whole pundit thing. Uh, he's got someone following him around with a camera all the time. This is all just very calculated from him. But it's also it, like I also I want to interpret it as like it's silly and desperate and 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 like weak or something like that. But the thing is, is he's doing both because he's like, I think he's building a media business because he's like that's going to go somewhere. It's going to do something. Eventually I'm not involved. Like I'm hiring the best people so that I don't have to be there. Cause then he can just be like, I'm pundit guy getting briefs on what Snapchat 2.0 is. And then I get to be doing a YouTube video about it. Cause that's the fun part anyways. Yeah. You know, anyways, but I I love what you're saying, Steph, that idea of getting people. Cause I, that's what I want to see as well. I see a lot of people wanting to do businesses who are wanting to do businesses. Right. And I see very few people who are doing businesses who are, um, who know really where they are right now in their life and can kind of like, I thought about Coco's Donuts and this will be the end of our thing. Coco's Donuts, I was just at one this morning because there's one on the way back from dropping off my son at school. It's kind of mm. like they have a new one, like Selwood area. Nice. It's sort of like a nightmare for me. 
It's like actual chat. Like I got a co- I got a donut and a diet Coke and I had like three sips of diet Coke and the donut. And it was like too much, it, but it's still, it was like worth it. Like, I'm glad I did it. I am glad I did it. Um, Coco's donuts in Portland is like my favorite donut. Portland's a town where there's like nine different, like global brands of donuts that are like, you know, it's like they're competing here for mind share. And some of them have bacon on them and some of them are shaped like penises. And you know, they're just like all over the place, but Coco's is classic and it's delicate and delicious. But when I first heard of Coco's Donuts, do you know where it was? It was in a coffee shop that wasn't even a good coffee shop that was by the house that I was living in 10 years ago. There was a maple bar in this little glass case. So like they, like they just had like, like a dozen donuts. And they just would sell them at the coffee shop until they ran out in the morning or whatever. It wasn't a cool coffee shop. It wasn't like a fancy. It was just a neighborhood, a bunch of riffraff in there kind of thing. And they had a maple bar. I'm not a maple bar guy, but that maple bar changed my life. I swear to God. It was the best. I was like, what's the deal with this maple bar? It was delicate. It was light. It was like enough to chew on and everything. So the first time I heard about Coco's Donuts was like before they really had a storefront, like they had one store far away at that point. Then they put one in on the east side that actually would go to occasionally, right? And now they're expanding even more. And that process has taken them 10 years of just like going from like being in a glass case in a coffee shop to having multiple stores and stuff like that, right? 10 years. Yep. Like, do you even know where you're going to be in 10 years? So don't try to be Gary Vaynerchuk today if where you are right now is you're, should, you should go around to coffee shops and put some donuts in a glass case. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Don't try to start up like a, a juggernaut of a business when you really got to get your maple bar on point first. <laughs> I like how that's going together so much. Listen, if you're living in a tree, don't be so confused you got monkeys for neighbors, all right? <laughs> Corbin Farr, Steph Crowder, I think we had a great conversation. Thanks for showing up, guys. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. So there you have it. That was Fizzle Show 221. Let me just double check that. Are we for sure? This is, yeah, 221, 221. You're going to find show notes and links to things that we mention here at fizzleshow.co slash 221, including that everything is a remix video series. You're going to want to see that stuff. Here is an iTunes rating from... Monica Cleosaki in the USA. That's like Monica with the CK, Cleo Saki with two Ks. I mean, I like this name. Who says, Love me some fizzle, top notch podcast and free guides. So excited to have discovered you about a week ago and since chain consumed about eight of your episodes. You guys are putting the A in authenticity and the R in real journey. Love how you address without creating shame the bits of beginner's material which are super crucial and very often overlooked. Lots of wisdom and knowledge here. Lots. Thanks so much, Monica Cleo Saki. I love your name. That's killer. Uh, You know, listener, if you haven't yet, leave us an iTunes review. I'd love to read yours out on the air. I'd love to hear your voice and see what you think of the show. Mention your favorite inside joke and you get a free Snickers bar. I don't know how we'd ever do that, but we could try. Who knows? Uh, I think that's (laughs) it for, for now, guys. Listen attribute everything all the time don't compromise on being exactly where you are you're not an expert fine you can still publish stuff at the level that you currently are residing we like that for you and i like that for me i mean i'm saying that to me that's inspiring find care take care serve hard and dig in thanks and we'll talk to you next week 
on The Fizzle Show.